It's a pleasure to have Pastor Bob read here with us this morning, and it was brought to my attention this week very wisely that there may be some of you here who are newer to Calvary Monument Bible Church that don't know who Pastor Reed is. And so I just want to let you know we're so thankful to have Pastor Reed because he faithfully served the Lord here for over 30 years and had a wonderful tenure. And uh, yeah, yeah, amazing. And it's a testimony. It was when, when Sheila and I were considering where the Lord may be calling us uh, to serve next when we were in between positions, it was a testimony to not just him, but also this congregation that a man who served faithfully for 30 years could return and continue to worship here uh, as a congregant and as a pastor emeritus. And so we're thankful for his wisdom, we're thankful for his service, and we're so thankful that the Lord has gifted him. And Pastor Bob, would you come break the word open for our congregation today? Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Chris. Uh, my wife reminded me that uh, it was eight years ago uh, on this Sunday, uh, Christmas Sunday, uh, but then it was actually December the 25th, uh, that, that time, eight years ago. That was the last Sunday I officially was the pastor here at Calvary Monument. So uh, it's kind of interesting to be back here at this time. Am I, uh, this, is this on? Yeah. Okay, that's good. One person. One person answered a question. <laughs> Can you believe that? All these people and one person answered it. Anyway. But it, it was, uh, it was uh, great. You know, I was thinking as uh, I was sitting here and I was worshiping with you, you know, uh, you know, Chris and Sheila, they were anticipating this week that they would be in Haiti, actually. And I, I, thought, of, I thought of this. You know, isn't it interesting? Men devise plans. But God devises better plans. We don't know what those are. But the verse that came to mind as I was sitting there was what it says in Galatians chapter 4. It says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth a son. God is never late. God is always on time. And God knows what he's doing. Isn't that great? So, uh, Chris and, and Sheila are sort of wondering, oh, I thought we were supposed to be down in Haiti. But God said no. But you're going to be there this weekend. And so that's great. And uh, we're looking forward to the transition. I, uh, I was thinking of this. And uh, this is going to be on somewhere. This side. This side. Other way. There we go. Do you know? This, this is one of the most frustrating things. I go to a different church so many times, and they give me a thing, and they never tell me how to work it. This happens all the time. None of them are the same. There needs to be one of these universal clickers. Anyway. But we need to be praying for the transition. And, and you know, transitions are, are interesting. They're tough, and they're enjoyable. But you ought to be praying for them even now during the transitions because there's a lot of people that are going to be transitioning. Children are going to be transitioning. Parents are going to be transitioning. There's going to be a, a little bit of separation there as the older brothers are going to be separated from the younger. So a lot of things. But I think that uh, there's something that came to mind is, uh, you know, when Chris had contacted me and said, 
you know, when I fill in for this week, that he was going to be gone because he's going to be in Haiti. And then things got reversed. I was thinking, that's a good indication of what life is going to be like. <laughs> because, you know, what life is going to be like is this, is, and it's for all of us. It's not just for them. But the MO of life is max flex. Too many people are so rigid that they can't go around corners. You know, they, you know they're so straight. They just, you know, that's the way they are. But you got to realize that that's life, max flex. And so be praying for them as they max flex through all this transition. And uh, that's, that's important. Then also, uh, I mentioned, I said, well, Chris, what would you like me to uh, do? He said, well, you can, you can do whatever you would like in that Christmas theme. Or you can stay in the, the progress that we, the, the series that we're doing. And so I thought for continuity's sake that I would do that. Now, it's always difficult to do that because you're, you're not a mind reader. I've been in several of the messages, but I wasn't in for all of them because I was in other places. But uh, this is basically what you had been covering. A child is promised, child is born, Savior's promised, and this week, a son is given. It's one thing to make a promise, it's another thing for that promise to come to fruition. And uh, that's what God does. When he makes a promise, he's going to bring it to pass. And that's good news. And then we, we also, I, I was there last week and we were looking at a little bit of review. And there are different lessons that are coming out of the, the infancy narratives, and it teaches us a lot of different things. But uh, the first week, you saw God is in control. Second week, we saw that God keeps his promises. Third week, the Spirit is at work. Fourth week, I'm making this one up because I didn't know what he was going to do. <laughs> but uh, this is what I put down, is that God's work is worth sharing. You know, you're going to share a lot of things this uh, week. Uh, we're, we're leaving from here to, after Sunday school, ABFs, to go back with our family. We have room for Doris and I to sit in the car. It's a CRV. The rest of it's stuff that's going to be given, you know, whether it's food or gifts or whatever. We're going down with uh, our children down in Bucks County, and, uh, down, and Andy's coming down to be with them. But I want to tell you, the most important thing you can give this Christmas is the message that is called good news. And uh, that's what we want to see. And, and the good news is this, that, that God's work is worth sharing. And we see God's work today in the passage we're looking at. So we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 2. And so if you want to turn your Bibles there, but you know my pattern is uh, always to um, pray before I share the word of God. And I'm, we're going to do that. And then I always like to say in the churches where I am that uh, there are notes in your bulletin if you want to follow along. It's always great because then you can tell if you can't see the clock, uh, you can tell when I'm almost done. Right? <laughs> of course, because the clock means nothing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I won't go any further. Anyway. Wait, wait. Let, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. When we come to Christmas time, we, we think of the gift of grace. And it was wrapped in swaddling clothes. And it was laid in a manger. And it's a message of grace. And it's, it's a gift of grace. And it's a life of grace. And we're going home by grace. 
And so we, we, just, we just rejoice in this. And we thank you, Lord, that this morning you've given us a biblical record that gives us an indication of the historical record of what God has done. Luke intended to do that. Luke wanted us to know. He, he checked all the references. He checked all the insights. And he put down a record of what happened. And we thank you for this. And so as we look at the record today, I trust that we'll learn by the Spirit of God lessons that we need for our own lives. And we do this to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I think it is, it is very true that uh, when you think of, of what God has done, I think that the thing that is amazing to me is that the good news of a Savior is something that has the power to transform. Does this world need transformed? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. More than one person. Where are the other 99? No, that's okay. But it is true. We need a message that transforms. There's a lot of messages out there, but there's only one message that really does transform. I, I think of, uh, you know, when you go through the biblical record, the Apostle Paul testified of this. Remember the Apostle Paul says, I was the chief of sinners. You know, that's quite a testimony. And then he goes on, but, but God has worked in his life. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. He was transformed. He was a persecutor, and he became a proclaimer of the truth. That's a change. I think of other things. You move down through history. You come to a time of, you know, uh, the J John Newton. Excuse me. Hit that too fast. John Newton. John Newton. Was he changed? Remember an amazing grace? Remember that one phrase that's used there, an amazing grace? He says, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That's transformation. This is the message of the gospel. The gospel transforms. Transforms the Apostle Paul. It transformed John Newton. And it changes all of those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. You know, uh, I've gotten into the habit. We all have habits. Pastor Chris greets you in, in a very appropriate way. He greets you. Now, church, and, and I greet people, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who are not yet brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I recognize any time where two or three are gathered together in his name, not only is Christ in the midst, but not everybody there is necessarily a believer. That's an assumption that we sometimes forget. And we make that everyone is. So this morning, I want to be talking about a message that transforms. And there's, there's no greater place where this historical record is uh, given to us, in my opinion, than where we see it in Luke chapter 2. And so this morning, what I'd like to emphasize is this fact that the message God gives at Christmas is that a Savior is born. That's, that's good. And He has the power to transform. We all want transformation, but we have to know the agent of change. We have to know what changes us, and it's Jesus Christ. Now, we've been looking, you have been looking through the Gospel of Luke, and the times I've been here, I've appreciated so much uh, Pastor Chris as he's been uh, uncovering and, and explaining the text, and it's been great. Uh, it's basically in chapter 1 of Luke, we have the, the background of the birth of, of Christ, the the angel delivers a message to a religious leader, Zacharias, 
and the message changed his life. He was going to have a son, son John, and he was going to be the one who was going to be the proclaimer of one who was to come. And then we see Luke continues on, and the message is given to a, a virgin girl, Mary. And uh, she's engaged to a carpenter named Joseph, and she receives a message that she would miraculously bear a son named Jesus, who would be the son of the highest, which is mentioned in uh, chapter 1, verses 32 and 35. And the, the angel delivers a message to, that, that will literally change her life, transformed, no longer the same. And now we come to this passage in Luke where the actual birth, it says in chapter 2, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census would be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this is the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house of the family of David, in order to be registered, along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. You know, what, what an account. What, a, what an arrival. This is the arrival that, that, that Paul later talks about that I mentioned. In the fullness of time, God brought forth his son. Isn't that great news? You know, right now we have in our culture what we call the great reveal. I don't know if any of you have gone to a reveal party. Uh, I haven't. You know, as a matter of fact, I say, hey, I can't even understand a reveal party. You know, my reveal party for my two children was when the nurse came and says, you have a boy. That was the great reveal. You have a girl. Wow. You know, the great reveal. Now we, we get so elaborate. Let me tell you, you think that what we do is great reveals? I want to tell you, when God makes a great reveal, he gives a great reveal. I mean, he brings in the choir, the angelic choir. He makes a great reveal. And what he's revealing is magnificent. Because his great reveal is that there is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So let's look at what we see in our text today. And uh, the, the message is, who received the message? In verse 8 it tells us this, in the same region. Now notice, that's going back to what has been previously stated. They're in the Bethlehem area now. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, I, I want you to notice, first of all, these are humble people. You know, ones who dwelled in the region of Bethlehem in the same country, as it says in verse 4. The, the region was a short distance from Bethlehem. It was possibly in the plains east of, of that town. It was a region, according to the, the Jewish Mishnah, where the, the flocks were pastured, and these flocks that were pastured were destined for the sacrifices in the, in the temple. And so these are the ones who dwelled in the region of Bethlehem, and they're ones who were engaged in a humble occupation. They're, they're just described as shepherds. In my text, I'm using the New American Standard. It says, and there were some shepherds. They were just shepherds, just common guys. You know, they were, they were shepherds who were often considered outcasts. Did you realize that? You know, it's kind of interesting that, 
As one person put it, shepherds were really outcasts in Israel. Their work not only made them ceremonially unclean, but it kept them away from the temple for weeks at a time. So they could not even become clean. Hmm, that's interesting. And God comes to people who technically were unclean, but he's coming to tell them how the world can become clean, and them too. And then we find out something else in the Jewish Talmud in the Midrash. It says that the, the shepherds had a reputation. The reputation wasn't good. In fact, it tells us in, the, in those, those Jewish writings that shepherds were of such poor reputation that they were to be excluded from even, listen to this, being allowed to give testimony in a court of law. In other words, couldn't, they weren't reliable. We find out something else about them, that they did have a past because they were involved in a great work. And we find out that, that many times they, they were given the past so that since they were caring for sheep that were going to be used for the sacrifice, they were involved in a great business. And as a result of that, they could, uh, when they did get into the Jerusalem area, they could be involved in the sacrificial system. And the shepherds were very often just humble people of humble means. They were regarded as the, the lower rungs of society, and it's interesting that Jesus appears to humble shepherds first, and he prophesies the focus of the mission. You know, sometimes I have a feeling that we have become enamored with people too much. We have this, this view that if you're significant, if you do significant things, then you are somebody that God can use. I want to tell you, it's interesting that that's not the way God works. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29, God, he has the policy of taking the weak things of the world to confound the wise. In other words, he doesn't need the big show. He doesn't need the big popular people. He doesn't need to be the, the one who's the most educated. He doesn't have be the one who has the greatest rhetoric. He uses people who can be used, who are willing to be humbled to be used. I think that's a very important lesson. Those who received the message were, were sovereignly selected by God. It was not because of who they were, but because of the gracious decision of God. They were people of a humble heart and not a haughty spirit. I wonder if that's reflective of me. I wonder if that's reflective of you. Do you think you're used because you're you? Or do you think you're used because God comes in and takes up residence in you by grace and he transforms you to be servants of the Most High God and he uses you to communicate the most precious message that the world could ever receive? It's all about him. It's not all about the vessel that he chooses to work through. You know, it's a very similar spirit, I think, as you go through the record that you've been seeing the last number of weeks in Luke. comes to Zacharias, and you say, well, yeah, but he was, a, he, was a, he was a priest. But then he comes to Elizabeth, and he comes to Simeon, and he comes to Anna. They weren't the hot shots. They were people that God could use. I'm convinced that if you're willing to humble yourself, that God can use you to do great things. And that's not what you're shooting for. You're not shooting to do great things because that too easily transfers into haughtiness. 
You're a person that humbles yourself so you can be used by God. There's an interesting quote that I came across by D.L. Moody. I have a quote. This is, I, I've got to correct this quote. The end of the quote there should be right after self-righteous. God has nothing to say to the self-righteous. Whoa. You mean he doesn't really need Congress? <laughs> Who would have thought? They think they need it, you know. They're God's gift. By the way, God doesn't need a president. He can use a president. And he can even use an arrogant president. He can use an unsaved president. I.e. Old Testament. Nebuchadnezzar. Cyrus. You know, all those are the guys. Because, you see, God chooses to use the weak things of the world to confound the wise. But it's interesting, most of us never want to say we're the weak things of the world so God can use us. We many times have this attitude that D.L. Moody says. He doesn't have anything to say to the self-righteous. Yeah, boy, I, I don't need a savior. I can handle this myself. I, I wrote this at the end of this quote. Is those who are so full of themselves have no time to hear a message that tells them of a savior. If you are not humble enough to realize you're a sinner, you are not humble enough to understand you need a savior. You see, you humble yourself. I am a sinner, separated from God. I needed someone to die in my place. Jesus Christ did that. Jesus Christ came to be born among men, to live life on planet Earth sinlessly, to go to a cross unjustly, to humble himself under the cross, it says in the book of Philippians, and to die for us. And we need to accept what he's done, not hoping that our works will accomplish it, but trusting in him to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. You know, that's really the truth. That's what we really need to, to keep in mind. And I am impressed when I realize that the one who received the message were humble people. But then I see something else, too, and, and make another observation in this passage. Who delivered the message? Who comes to these humble people? Well, it says, the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, verse 9, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now who are these messengers? Verse 9 says it was uh, angel of the Lord, probably or possibly uh, Gabriel as with Mary and Zacharias. And, and the reaction, it's not that they were looking for this. The reaction was they were startled. As a matter of fact, it says they were very afraid. And then not only was it just the one angel, but then a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Verse 13, part of the ministering spirits of God come upon the scene. And they're the backup choir for the one who's just made this announcement. And they're saying, you know, there is something that you need to understand. It's, this is who they were and what was their message. Generally, verse 10, as I read it, they talk about the effect. It's a message of good tidings, of great joy. And notice, generally, it's a message for all people. So you see, the good news that they're sharing is for everyone. 
And that should say something to us. You know, sometimes we see a person we think is unreachable. Unreachable. That's not the way God looks at people. When God looks at people, he says, my son, I sent to planet Earth so that people could be saved. And that's what he does. And that's what we need to remember. And that's why we need to open our mouths because we're ministering to all people. All those that are around us. They may not be of the same sexual orientation as you. They may not be of the same political party as you. They may not be the people of the same socioeconomic status. That doesn't matter. A Savior was born for all people because all people are sinners. The Bible makes that clear. For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. That's why he sent a Savior. And the wages of sin is death, Romans goes on and says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the message of good tidings. That's the message of great joy. Now, specifically, he moves from the emphasis of the effect, the general, to the specifics of the emphasis, the cause of the effect. He says in, in verse 11, why is there good news of great joy? Because a Savior is born, verse 11, who is Christ the Lord, Messiah. I, I was given a card some time ago and uh, at Christmas, and I, I filed it because it was so good. And I probably have quoted this to this church a couple of times in the 33 years I was here. But let me tell you, I think it really says something. If our greatest need was education, God would have sent a teacher. Or financial, God would have sent an economist. Or medical, God would have sent a doctor. Or political, God would have sent a soldier. Or emotional, God would have sent a psychiatrist. But our greatest need was spiritual. We were dead in our sins. So God sent his son. He sent a savior. You know, we look at the world and we, we don't know where to start because we're, there's so many needs. Well, you know, let me give you a suggestion as to where to start. Start with a savior. That's what people need. It's, by the way, it's not either or. Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, he not only gave people living water himself. He says, I am the living water. But he gave people physical water to drink. And that's what we need to do. We need to understand we address physical needs. We address spiritual needs. We do that together. Because people have both of those needs. We don't say, oh, I'm only concerned about the spiritual part of man. Well, Jesus... Why did he do the feeding of the 5,000? Why did he do the feeding of the 4,000? Because he knew the people were not just spiritual. He knew they were physical. And he met needs. And in meeting needs, he introduced to them who he was. And by the way, friends, when you meet the needs of people around you physically, you're telling them something about the Savior who can meet their needs spiritually. And so that's what it was, specifically a Savior. And look at verse 12. Specifically, the cause of this effect of good news and great joy was a baby. Because it says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and his name shall be called, what? Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. You know why God is with us? Because God is for us. God came to be with us 
so that he could die on a cross, so that he could be for us to be our Savior from eternal condemnation. That's good news. That's great joy. And not only that, the cause of this effect of good tidings and great joy, it was peace, verses 13 and 14. And on earth, peace among men, verse 14, whom he is pleased. I think this is an amazing statement, peace. Peace. Peace toward men on whom God's sovereign pleasure rests, as it literally translates. You know, during the time, by the way, when Christ was born, this is called the Pax Romana. This was called the Roman peace. This was the time when, basically, in the civilized world, there weren't wars because of the domination of Rome, the Roman Empire. That, uh, that basically started around 27 B.C. And uh, there was an absence of war, but it's kind of interesting that one of the philosophers of that day he says, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he's unable to give peace from passions, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than ever for outward peace. Let me tell you, let me be a politician right now. No, I don't want to do that. Well, just, just imagine <laughs> that I could do these things. All of you have free college education. I'm going to pay for your college debt. You know? Okay? All of you are not just going to have one car. You're going to have two. All of you are not just going to have a house. You're going to have a shore place, too. All, oh, you like that one, huh? <laughs> All of you are not going to have to have flu shots because you're not going to get the flu anyway. You like that? You know, you can have all those things and still be one miserable person. How many of you have heard people that have been tremendously successful, for example, an athlete who has won some of the highest achievements, Super Bowl rings, and they say, I still have not found happiness. I have not found joy. Joy doesn't come, friends, from your circumstances. Joy comes from Christ. And Christ came at Christmas. That's a message you have to tell. This philosopher, by the way, I am told that he was not necessarily a believer. But do you see what he said there? The Roman Empire could not give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even outward peace. That's what we need, that kind of peace. And that uh, brings us to this thought to me. The words of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment later in his ministry of this verse, is what Jesus says in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives give I to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In the midst of the crisis of your life, whatever it is, and there's people that have all different kinds of crises that sit in this room today. Some of you, it's emotional. Some of you, it is physical. Some of you, it is financial. But I want to tell you, until you understand that Jesus is offering to you a peace that the world cannot give, you're missing the main point of life. Because, you see, he's bringing you back to the garden 
of Eden, and he's bringing you back into fellowship where you can walk with God again. That's peace. That's shalom. That's what he offers to us. The last thing I want you to do and see here is, what's the response to all of this? You know, what, what way did they respond, these men who heard this message? These humble men who con were confronted by heavenly heralds, look at the heartfelt obedience you see in verses 15 to 20. And it came to pass that when the angels had gone away from them to heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, well then, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the babe, and, and he was lying in a manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured them up, all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back and glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told to them. Do you see the response? And I generated something that's hokey. That's okay. That's my background of being teachers. Teachers are always doing hokey things. But write the acrostic down basic. You have it in your notes. The first thing I see there is that they had a basic response. And the basic response, first of all, they believed. You know, can, can you imagine... Sitting out watching sheep. And all of a sudden, the skies light up. They get this message. And they say, I'm not eating any more of that kefilta fish. I'm laying off matzo before I go to bed. No, 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 no. They believe. They believe. You know, it's interesting today, as I'm declaring this message to you, some of you here don't believe what I'm saying. They say, oh, this is a fable. This is a story. As a matter of fact, that, they didn't doubt the message. They heard that they, didn't, they, didn't, they, they accepted it. They, they said, let's go and see this thing which has come to pass. In other words, God said it. He's doing it. Let's go see it. Now, a rationalist would look at this message and say, I don't believe what I can't explain. No, I can't explain this, so I'm not going to believe it. The existentialist says, wow, what an experience. Let's do that one again. The natural says, there are no angels, so it didn't happen. You know what? There's probably people sitting in here that are saying those same things. But you see, the beginning of faith is believing what God says. When God says something, listen carefully. And that's what these men did. The next thing I, I see there about them, their response, is that in verse 16, they acted on what they heard. They came with haste. There's the A. Acting upon the message they believed allowed them to make a discovery. And by the way, it took effort. You know, when you believe something, then it will take some kind of effort. It will take a motion on your part. And the motion on their part is that they had to find babysitters for the sheep. They're shepherds. Sheep are dumb. You don't leave them alone. But they figured, hey, if angels can deliver a message, they can take care of the sheep. <laughs> That's kind of faith, isn't it? And only that, but they made the journey. Now, it wasn't a granted, it wasn't a long geographical journey. 
but it took effort to go and see. The S, they shared what they heard. Verse 17, they shared what they heard. It says they made widely known, or as it literally we translate, they published abroad or in a broad way, the saying which was told them concerning this child. You see, the message they believed, they acted upon it, and, and, and it was confirmed. And this was too wonderful to keep to themselves. You say, you have good news. If it's good news, why aren't you telling people that need to hear good news that are in a bad way? Just saying. Some of us are willing to say, I've responded to the good news. Great. And share it. And that's what they did. They shared what they heard. The I... They influenced others with what they heard. You know, I, I look at the, in verses 18 and 19, do you see it there? All who heard. All who heard? Yeah, they were going around and telling everybody about what had happened and what was told to them. And it says, and all who heard, it wondered at these things told to them by the shepherds. And uh, that really would be the word marvel. It means to wonder at, to be in admiration of this truth. And Mary, what was her response? Verse 19, it says, she pondered. In other words, what she's trying to do is get all these pieces together. Like, what does this all mean? You know, I've got a, I've got a message that came from an angel. These men have gotten a message that comes from an angel. How does this all fit together? Pondered it. So these men, they were influencers. They went out with a message that was good news. They shared it, and they wanted other people to think about it. Do you cause to f- other people around you to think about the good news of the gospel? Does your life so transform you that you want to tell others, and they want to think about what you're saying? And the last thing is, they continued in praise. In other words... They just didn't leave this one go. They held on to it. It says there, very, very simply, they were glorifying and praising God. And one of those words, the first word there, the Greek word, is where we get our word doxology. They were praising, extolling, magnifying God. They were, they were causing dignity and worth to be brought to the person who had, been, who had given them this message. And they were praising. That means to extol and to express praises to God. That's what they were doing. You know, this, there always has to be a response to the message that God gives. You can either accept it and act upon it, or reject it and refuse to act upon it, but there is no neutrality. A lot of us are trying to be neutral in your Christian faith. Let me tell you, you can try it, but it won't work. Because people will constantly, if you're saying you're a Christian, they'll say, and how do I know? And how do I know? And that's because they see Christ living in you. So on that first Christmas day, the, the angels, the messengers of God, shared a message that transformed lives, and it continues to transform lives. I trust it's transformed your life this morning. I shared with you just a snippet of what the gospel is. I trust you have put your faith and trust in what Christ has done, that he came as Savior. That's what was announced that he died on a cross for your sins. That's what we find further in their, in their record. That he was buried, that he rose again from the dead, and he's offering to you the gift of eternal life. Because even as there is bad news, 
that you have to consider with the good news, and the bad news is this, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Bad news, good news. Have you accepted the good news? And have you responded with this basic response like these shepherds did, as we see in our record before us? He's the humble shepherds came to realize that they had received a message where that would transform them into heralds of the king of kings. They were humble men that were heralded, proclaiming, declaring Jesus Christ. That's tremendous. We have hope for a hopeless world. That hope has been placed in your hands. And the question is, are you sharing the hope that you know, that you've received, if you've trusted in Christ? Are you sharing that hope in a hopeless world? Garrett said, prayed today, he says, I'm praying for us as we're with our families and friends during this season that we'll have a chance to talk to them about Christ. And I'm praying that too. I want you to have the same spirit as those shepherds. At Calvary Homes, there's a, a lady who was Mar Marjorie Jackson. She's with the Lord now. But when I went there, she was, she was telling me stories that she had been one of the captives that uh, during World War II that was imprisoned when uh, Japan came in into China and uh, they, they arrested all of the, the, the missionaries that were there. And she was a, she was a child. Her parents were not with her at the time. So she went to prison by herself, just as a child. And uh, she said it was pretty bleak. And I heard a story about two missionaries who were in one of those prisons in China. They were just on a, 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 rough, a rough floor, no bedding, straw there on the floor. And, and it was near Christmas, and... The two missionaries were in a prison that were under the oppression of not speaking at all to anyone. They could not say a word. If they were, they were beaten. And these two missionaries were there, and the one missionary started to become very depressed and discouraged as Christmas was drawing by. And uh, the other, there was another missionary friend in there, and he knew he couldn't talk to him, but he wanted to encourage him with good news. And so he took some of the straw and he moved the straw around to create the word Emmanuel. God with us. And then he took it and he wiped it away and then he put another word there in straw. Savior. You know what happened at Christmas? God came to dwell with us. That's Emmanuel. But I want to tell you how he came to dwell with us. He came to dwell with us not as a judge. He came to dwell with us as a Savior. And those two words changed that prison into a place of no longer hopelessness, but into hopefulness. And this missionary took those two words and they came to his heart and gave him comfort. You have these same two words to tell your world. Emmanuel, God with us, for a purpose to be Savior. That's good news to share. And I trust you'll share it because 
we have a message that's worth sharing. Have you received the message? Do you believe the message? Now, will you share the message as those shepherds did? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and just a chance to look at these humble men who had an awesome experience and it changed their lives. The message of Christmas changes all lives. May we understand that. May we live a life differently because Christ has come. And may it be a message that we declare to a world that really is hopeless apart from the Prince of Peace that gives a peace of God and it gives peace with God, the peace that surpasses all understanding. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.